In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hola, my name is Tina Lacochina. I'm a comedian from Robstown, Texas. Growing up, to me, tacos sound like my mom and my sisters talking in the kitchen with my mom at the stove, flipping tortillas with her bare hands, adding chili powder to the ground beef, meat sizzling, smashing the refried beans, stirring the rice. My sisters are at the table preparing the shredded cheese, cutting the lettuce and tomato, chopping onion and cilantro for the pico de gallo and guacamole. I'm in charge of bringing the ice for the sweet tea. This is comedian Tina La Cochina, and you're listening to Tacos of Texas on KUT. What do you call a person who adds too much sauce on their taco? Pues un salsero. What's up, Taco World? I'm taco journalist Mando Rayo, and welcome to the Tacos of Texas podcast, Season 3. Produced by Identity Productions in partnership with KUT and KUTX Studios. And we're back exploring taco culture in Texas through the eyes of the people in the Lone Star State. So grab a jalapeno and eat it estilo amor vida and get ready for some muy tasty taco conversations. Sabor. In today's episode, we're talking about one of the most important ingredients of any taco. That's salsa magic. We'll talk to an expert on chiles who will give us some muy hot facts, including how spice levels are measured and what makes chiles picar in the first place. We'll get to know Austin-based award-winning salsa makers, Fantastic Fuego, and then we'll go back to my kitchen and play with some of my favorite tacos and salsa pairings. All of this on today's Tacos of Texas. Eating a taco without salsa is like a party without Los Angeles Azules. It's like Austin without Barton Springs. It's like me without my taco hat. I mean, why wouldn't you want salsa? It's magic. The combination of a specific kind of chile with sometimes tomato, tomatillo, garlic, onion, salt, oftentimes with oil, and you can play with other variations. I mean, what you get is liquid heaven to complement your favorite tacos and dishes, or even scoop it up with some chips and salsa. And my go-to salsas, man, I got three always in the back of my pocket, in my refrigerator, in my cupboards. I'm talking about the creamy jalapeño that everyone loves, and that's the taquero special. My chile de árbol salsa, really, I only make it for myself because I'm the only one that can eat it. Porque pica, pero me gusta. And of course, my salsa quemada. Great when grilling over coals. You get that quemada in the chiles and the tomatoes and the garlic. You blend that up and it's thick and chunky. 
and it hits the spot every time. And speaking of me pica pero me gusta, I got this thing at home we call the Chile Challenge. I line everybody up, not only my kids, but their friends. So everybody gets either a little bit of salsa or even a fresh and raw jalapeno, and it's go time. See who wins this Chile Challenge. By the end of the challenge, somebody's definitely crying. But that's okay because, you know, it builds character. That's what it does. It builds character. And I went through the same process. My tío sat me down when I was five years old with a bowl of beans and a raw whole jalapeño. And he told me, no te vas a ir de esta mesa hasta que te lo acabes. And of course, I cried my eyes out. And I went from tears of pain to tears of joy. So where did salsa originate? A post by Bio Museo, a Smithsonian affiliate in Panama, says that the pepper arrived in Europe in 1494 after Columbus thought he'd found, again, the same fruit that India used to make pepper. The post points out that the domestication of the chili began in what is now Mexico, long before the arrival of the Spaniards, some 6,000 years ago. According to the website, The Nibble, the making of a sauce by combining chiles, tomatoes, and other ingredients like squash seeds and even beans has been documented back to Aztec culture. Bernardino de Sagún, a missionary from Spain, is currently the earliest person that we know who documented salsas. It takes us as far back as 1529. He wrote a lot about the foods he observed in his Florentine Codex, which is basically the encyclopedia he made about his observations of the Mesoamerican culture that had just been conquered by Spain. In 1568, Bernal Diaz del Castillo, author of the book, The True Story of the New Spain Conquest, describes that the indigenous people of Cholula wanted to kill and eat them because they had Pots ready with peppers, tomatoes, and salt. Ha! He was scared. I would have been so happy to be with us Cholulans and these deadly pots of salsa. A few years later, in 1571, Alonso de Molina, a Spanish priest and interpreter, gave the magic potion its name, salsa. In the Austin Chronicles' Brief History of Chips and Salsa, it says that bottled hot sauces like Tabasco were already making their way to the table by the late 1800s, but that salsa as a dip began to take hold in the early 1900s and quickly became a staple by the 40s throughout the Southwest and in metropolitan kitchens. The Nibble explains that salsa's popularity in the U.S. exploded in the late 80s when sales skyrocketed by nearly 80% nationwide, knocking ketchup out of the way as a most popular condiment. Yeah, I ain't putting no ketchup on my taco. Oh, it's taco time. And now here's a word from our sponsors, from me. Vamos a Chuco Town con Visit El Paso. It's the hometown of this taco journalist. Feliz cumpleaños, El Paso turns 150. On May 17, 1873, the Texas legislature approved an act to incorporate the city of El Paso. Since its incorporation, El Paso has aged gracefully to reach an extravagant age of 150 years old. 
Within the last century and a half, El Paso has shaped itself to become a one-of-a-kind destination, filled with rich history, exciting culture, diversity, countless adventures, and attractions. Long before El Paso was El Paso, our desert home was known by a different name. Spanish explorers first lent the name El Paso del Norte to the combined areas we now identify individually as El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. From that former name to the influence of Pachuco's zoot suiting around El Chuco or to the familiar landscape and infamous heat rooting the idea of the Sun City, Whichever way you choose to reference it, the name, the land, and the sites all possess a piece of history waiting to be discovered. Some of the most well-known facts that are shared among El Pasoans revolve around the alligators that once roamed around San Jacinto Plaza. Perhaps you're aware of the Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa's visit to the tip of Texas or how the very first high-rise Hilton Hotel, now known as the Plaza, was first built here. Wherever you find yourself in El Paso, you are living in some part of the past. Take a step back in time as you travel to some popular places that make El Paso's history special. Muchas gracias to our friends at Visit El Paso for sponsoring this podcast episode. Follow Visit El Paso on Instagram and Facebook at Visit El Paso or on their website at visitelpaso.com. Did you know that Waterloo Greenway is building a park system through downtown Austin? Once complete, the project will reach from Waterloo Park, located near the Capitol building, all the way to Lady Bird Lake. Waterloo Greenway and the city of Austin just broke ground on the second phase of the project, the Confluence. Located by Waller Creek Boathouse, now under construction, the Confluence will feature suspension bridges, hiking bike trails, a boardwalk, and many green spaces, arboles y plantas, so you can get up close and personal with nature. Check out some of the awesome renderings of what the future of Waller Creek will look like once the confluence is complete at waterloogreenway.org future. Make sure to follow Waterloo Greenway on Instagram and Facebook at Waterloo Greenway and on their website at waterloogreenway.org to stay up to date with construction progress. Mil gracias to our friends at Waterloo Greenway for sponsoring this podcast episode. Before we get into talking about salsas, our first guest is Paul Boslin, who is also known as the Chile Man. He is the former director of the Chile Pepper Institute at New Mexico State University. Hey, there's a New Mexico? He is recognized internationally as the foremost expert on chile peppers. Boslin has published more than 150 scientific papers and co-authored five books, including the official cookbook of the Chile Pepper Institute. We're calling in Paul to give us some chile pepper basics. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for joining us today. I hear you're quite the chili expert. Well, I was uh, at New Mexico State University for 33 years running the chili pepper breeding program and was director of the Chili Pepper Institute. So, yeah, I always like to joke with people that I put all my chilies in one basket and watch that (laughs) basket carefully. (laughs) I love that. I am a chili man myself, but I hear that's what they call you, the chili man. That's right. It was a kind of a nickname given to me early on because I was actually hired to be a vegetable breeder, worked with some other crops like whole crops, broccoli, cabbage, a little bit of asparagus, spinach. 
but then realized I could spend all my time on chili peppers and not answer all the questions that needed to be answered scientifically. So that's what I did. That's great. I love this. I love this. So let's get into it. Can you give us a breakdown of what makes a chili pepper hot and why some are hotter than others? Well, what makes chili peppers unique is they have this alkaloid we call capsaicinoids. Most people hear capsaicin, and that's what gives you that bite, that heat when you bite into it. And the fellow last year won the Nobel Prize for learning that it's actually a heat receptor that the chemical attaches to. And so it sends a false signal to your brain that hmm. it's hot, even though it's not temperature hot, but your brain is sensing it is. Oh, interesting. We discovered over the years uh, about 24 of these different compounds, uh, these different alkaloids, these capsaicinoids, and each one has a different effect when we eat them. Some will come on rapidly, some are a delayed heat, some linger, some dissipate quickly. And one interesting one is some have what we call sharp heat. It feels like pins sticking you, a prickly heat. Yeah. Others more of a flat heat, like it's been brushed on your tongue or in your mouth. And so there's a flat sharp. And Asian chilies are famous for being sharp. That's really what they like is that sharp heat. And, uh, and chili de arbol from mm -hmm. uh, Mexico has that sharp heat. And so the, you get that tingling effect. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the food industry says mild, medium, and hot. But we actually measure chili heat in Scoville heat units. And this was a test de devised many, many years ago. And it's really a taste test. So Mr. Scoville would make up a cocktail, a little drink. You would drink it. And if you notice the heat, he would dilute it some more until you say, I don't taste the heat anymore. And he used five tasters. And when they all said the heat was gone, that became the heat unit. And so, for example, if something has a thousand Scoville heat units, it means you have to dilute that product a thousand to one. If it's 10,000 Scoville heat units, you have to dilute it 10,000 to one. So the higher the number, the hotter the chilies. And pure capsaicin, the chemical, is 16 million Scoville heat units. And the hottest chili we know is uh, the Trinidad Scorpion, which is around 2 million. So Ooh. we still can make them a lot hotter. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I remember one time I had, a, I think, just an extract of like habanero at a chili festival or something. And yeah. man, that knocked me down. My ears were ringing. I started sweating. My eyes started tearing up. So can you tell me a little bit about kind of the body's reaction to like the different heats? It is a heat receptor. And so your body is sensing, oh, this is this is hurting me. It's a pain. You know, you've got to stop. <laughs> but the interesting thing is when you lose that sensation of heat, when you're eating something, it's not that the chemical has disappeared. It's your body has produced endorphins to block that pain. And so there was a classic experiment where they fed jalapenos to students and said, <laughs> okay, let me know when you don't taste that the, there's no more heat. And when, when they raised their hand, they injected them with a endorphin blocker and the heat came back. So they oh. knew it was endorphins being produced by your body to protect that heat. Oh, man. Can you talk a little bit about the senses that you get, like maybe in the top of your tongue, all the way to the back? I tell people, you know, you can actually become a chili connoisseur. And when you get salsa in a restaurant, you can actually tell what chili they use by that heat profile is what I call it, a heat profile. And a jalapeno will be on the tip of your tongue. It'll be kind of a, the flat heat. It will come on rapid and dissipate fairly well. And so the, the comparison to that would be the habanero, which is delayed heat, 
lingers and it's in the back of the throat. Mm-hmm. Then the New Mexico pod type that we grow here is a middle of the palate, flat heat, comes on fairly rapid, dissipates quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when we first started uh, breeding chilies, we thought we would breed two different kinds of chilies. One that had a lingering heat for medicinal use. That's what actually Scoville worked for a pharmaceutical company trying to uh, standardize a cream to kill um, muscle aches and pains. You would mm. put the cream on. And we we have those products today called capsaicin or uh, heat, H-E-E-T. Mm-hmm. But um, we thought with food, you'd want a, a dissipating heat so you would eat more product. And so that that's, but then we found out, no, it doesn't really matter. The people aren't that picky yet. Is there a sense that you can build up your tolerance? You do. After about a year, if you were eating mild, you'll now be medium. If you were medium, it could be the hot. Mm-hmm. But your genetics is a big part of it. And those heat receptors, we all vary in that. The more you have, the more sensitive you are. Mm-hmm. But that's a two-edged sword. One, if you don't have very many heat receptors, you can eat very, very hot chilies. But you can't tell the difference very well. But if you have a lot of receptors, you notice those subtle differences. And I always like to tell people, think of chili heat as like salt. Too much salt ruins a dish, but just a little bit makes it taste so much better. Mm-hmm. The same with chili heat. A little bit just makes it taste so much better. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I grew up eating a lot of heat. We're vecinos, you know, <laughs> here in Las Cruces. I grew up in El Paso and traveled throughout uh, New Mexico. And so for me, it's always interesting when I come to Central Texas, like the heat dissipates. (laughs) It's true. I mean, there are really regional differences. Um, Down in southern New Mexico, we like it really hot, too. Mm -hmm. Where in northern New Mexico, it's a little not as hot. They like their chilies a little milder. But also, you have to realize all these different chilies that we see now, like Serrano, Jalapeno, maybe you have some Midasol, the wild chiltepines. They all have different flavors, too. There's... a more than 5,000 different chilies in the world. And these have been selected to be used in cuisines. So if you were in India, you would get a different chili than you would in Texas. If you're in New Mexico, you get a different chili. And that's because of the flavor profiles that we've selected as humans. We've picked these over. The wild chiltepine is kind of the mother of all chilies. That's where we started. And then as humans, we began to select for flavor profiles, heat profiles that we like to use in different dishes. You know, even if you go to Mexico, you'll notice in regions there, they have different chilies. Oaxaca is different than the Yucatan, mm-hmm. which is different than Chihuahua. And so that's because of the, you know, culture-wise, over the years, they like that. We plant a teaching garden with more than 150 different chilies at the university. And I always kind of get a chuckle when the international students go through and they'll say, oh, there's my chili. That's my <laughs> chili. You know, they, they, they associate with that. Over time, you can learn these little flavor subtleties and use them to make different sauces. And I think you'll see that a lot now with chefs. They're using these different chilies to make these little subtle differences. It's hot, but you also get a different kind of heat profile and flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. I'm going to give you a list off of different chilies and peppers, and uh, you let me know kind of where they fall. Jalapeno in the Texas-Mexico region. Normally, we say 5,000, but there's actually no heat jalapenos, and we released one that's very, very hot. It's up to 100,000, mm-hmm. so you could go the whole range. Chile de Arbol. 
Chile de Arbol, uh, usually about 15,000, maybe to 30,000. Again, these these are uh, so much a delicate chili, believe it or not. They're grown under trees in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They need a little more delicate environment. And so if you grew them here in New Mexico, truly going to be at the high end. But if you grow them in a backyard and some shade, they'll probably be at the lower end. Okay. Chile Arbol is what I make a lot of my salsas with. So. <laughs> Guajillo. Guajillo is a very fruitful flavor. Some people say maybe like a prune note to it or a plum note, but it's usually around, in our world, we say mile, 2,500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's okay. not too hot. Yeah, yeah. Chile piquín. Very hot, uh, 50,000 to 100,000. In parts of South America and Mexico, they, they pop them like little pills to, to control their stomach. They say the heat is easy on the stomach. So you go, I don't like chilies. It hurts my stomach. Pekins would be a good one to try. Well, I'm definitely going to take that to note. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one, habanero. Rule of thumb, we'll say 100,000. 100,000. But we actually have no heat habaneros. We bred one called New Mex Trick or Treat. It looks like the normal orange habanero, but it has no heat, but all the flavor and Mm. aroma. And they use it in blending to make the salsas not so hot. Yeah. But I always tell people, we call it a trick-or-treat because you can plant the normal orange habanero in your backyard. You take one of the trick-or-treats, bite it, eat it like, oh, and give the hot one to your neighbor. They bite it and go, oh, my God, that's so hot. And you look pretty macho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about your latest book? Sure. It's the official uh, cookbook of the Chili Pepper Institute. We describe the different chili varieties, what the flavor, what the heat profile is. We provide two recipes for each chili and beautiful photographs of all the chilies throughout the book. If you want an autographed copy, order at the Chili Pepper Institute. Otherwise, Amazon and all the bookstores. Oh, perfect. We're going to get ourselves a copy for sure. Good. Yeah. yeah. Does it come with like a free stack of uh, chilies or anything? No, little no, bag, no, but, you know, but, directly from New Mexico? No, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> if you come to Las Cruces and I'll give you a tour of the garden, bring the oh. book and we'll do a tour of the garden. Paul, thanks so much. It's been so uh, great to talk to you. So informative. Now I know what levels my my peppers are and I will keep climbing that mountain. There you go. Man. <laughs> there you go. Be All brave. Right. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Our next guests are Tony Nunez and Stephanie Sanyur from the Austin-based Salsa Fantastic Fuego. They've won four Scovia Awards and multiple awards from the Austin Chronicle Hot Sauce Festival. We're going to sit down and eat chips and salsa in the studio with Tony and Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. Great to be here. (laughs) First things first, I know you brought your salsas with you, right? Oh, yeah. And chips. So let's break it out and have a little conversation. Awesome. Of course. Here we go. The big big reveal. We brought our four main salsas. Uh We have the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Okay, cool. The Green Inferno. The Green Inferno. Machete. Machete. Nice. And Heart Ticket to Hawaii. Hard ticket to Hawaii. Mira nomás. And then uh, we're all feeling up to it. I also brought my personal favorite, Death Wish hot sauce. Oh, dang. Okay. Is this like the one drop thing? Or yeah. You can put more. Thing. Yeah. Orale, orale. Are you ready? Yeah. For some well, fuego? Yeah, I'm ready for some fuego. Let's Here we do go. it. All right. <laughs> Dig in. Mm. So, this, so is our... this is the attack of the killer tomatoes. Yeah, oh, we... that, that's good. That has a bite. Man, that's good. Tell me a little bit about how you all started Fantastic Fuego. 
I've been making salsas for years in different food, different dishes. Never to never the intent to sell, but it was just mostly to as a side passion of mine to cook. And for whenever there's a potlucks, I would bring salsas, and people always give me great feedback. Hey, why don't you sell these? And I I'm like, nah, it's just for fun. And then uh, over the years of refining the recipes, um, I, when I met my wife Stephanie, she introduced me to salsa matcha. I started making my own version of that, and she said, "You need to enter this at the Austin Chronicle Hot Sauce Festival." Mm-hmm. And I had to listen to her, you know. So I, yeah, I entered, she knows. Entered, as you should, as I should. Yeah, that uh, was on our first uh, wedding anniversary too. Oh, yeah. oh really? Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness! The, the festival took place on August twenty fifth in two thousand nineteen, our one yeah. year anniversary. And to my great surprise, uh, the salsa won first place. Oh wow, that's amazing! And I was in shock. I was like, oh, I'd never really entered contests before or anything, but uh, it gave me uh, it, it shined a light on me. I'm like, maybe yeah. this is my calling. Maybe I should start selling these. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Fantastic Fuego was born on that day. Nice, nice. And you all, you're you're a couple. How did you all meet and decide to go into business together? Uh, well, we met uh, because he used to work in media. He used to work for Telemundo, CBS Austin, and I uh, used to work for Univision. And so, you know, rivals. <laughs> yeah, only management cares about that yeah. stuff. <laughs> so we had a friend in common that was leaving town uh, for another gig. And so we went to that party and uh, we met at this table, you know, over chips and salsa. And, <laughs> and that's how it all began. <laughs> that's how it all starts, right? Oh, yeah. It all starts with the chips and salsa you know who would have thought who would have thought, right? have thought who would have thought <laughs> and then one year later you do the austin chronicle hot sauce festival right it was a this happened in 2016 and mm-hmm. then uh we after two years we got married oh and wow. then one year later yeah. is the, the Austin. Chronicle. well i was a, a judge for a few years so oh nice so you're welcome I don't know that I don't know that was me. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about what goes into making all these different salsas. We have the tomato, we have the matcha, the green inferno, and pineapple. And, and the okay, so this is the pineapple. So what goes into creating the different very specific styles? Yeah, well, each salsa has its own profile. But you don't want to make uh, one salsa that's mild, medium, hot of that version of the same salsa. We wanted to create different flavors and explore different flavors. So what we focus on is flavor first and then the spice. So we wanted to explore different flavors to see how we can get the flavor right where it's, you can still enjoy the spice and the flavor combined, the balance. So this is a fun job for me. So I, when I'm creating salsas, yeah. my, my passion is also movies. So they're all nicknamed after movie titles. Okay, okay, okay. I see the fantastic. So like yeah. when, when I'm like, all right, uh, I looked at different titles, like, oh, right, this could be a pineapple salsa. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to make a pineapple salsa. I love. Wait, wait, wait. For, out of pineapple Express? Pineapple, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a tough choice. Pineapple Express <laughs> and Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh, right, 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 right. So right. I wanted to make it more <laughs> obscure and then start exploring with what I know. Like, I never made a pineapple salsa before. Uh-huh. So I always look back to my family traditions, like my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom's cooking was a, is a big inspiration for me. Okay. So how am I going to do a pineapple salsa? My mom never made a pineapple salsa before. Right. So I just take it back to, okay, on Thanksgiving, she will make a glazed ham. And she'll put pineapple on the side with a clove. And I'm like, I'm gonna use that clove idea with the pineapple uh-huh. and, and incorporate that into the salsa. And then once I st- started messing with that, 
I was like, all right, this is it. Yeah. I just added habanero and different spices, but I, I got yeah. the the direction. So he just also has his own story. Like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the yeah. one you're trying there is one of my oldest where I I was just taking it in the, to potlucks and people yeah. would just eat it all up with chips. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just messed with the different variations of that, like all jalapenos and tomatoes. Uh-huh. And then I started adding serranos. Uh-huh. Then I went off grid and be like, a little bit of habanero, a little bit of chipotle. But no, no, let's go back to the basics. I, I had something great here. And then with different balances uh, in trial and error, because it's just like a hobby of mine. So I, I got to refine it. Right? Oh, if it's addicting to me, it's, it's going to be addicting to people out there. Yeah, right, right, right. And so you do also have one that's uh, kind of... Uh, one where death wish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my go-to taco sauce. That's his way. favorite. Oh, uh, 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 yeah? That's, that's mm-hmm. my go-to taco sauce. Yeah. So I, Puts I, it on everything. <laughs> I, bring, I bring flavors from uh, um, my childhood was in East L.A., California. Okay. So I bring flavors from there. And then I, my high school, college years were West Texas, okay. in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I bring those flavors and then bring it here all to Austin. Yeah. And then... Um, and Death Wish is one of my uh, is my inspiration is from one of my favorite taco places in LA. Mm-hmm. They had a secret sauce, so based on those memories of that sauce, I'm like, I'm gonna just well, okay, get inspired cool. to make my own version. Yeah, that nice. reminds me of that sauce. So are you the kind of that you know both of you are like, oh, well, we make our own sauce, we sell our own sauce. We go to a restaurant and you pull it out of your side of your pocket. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know he some, does. Some, some of the some, <laughs> so when you go to like some Tex-Mex restaurants, they're the restaurant salsa. You know, it's oh, yeah. it's, it's not the it's yeah. Uh, we, he likes we, to bring that one to restaurants. They have our own. Yeah. We, have we have a, a holster for you. We're working on a custom yeah. holster. Okay. I know, I know yep. a good guy at La Pulga. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, been putting it in my purse so far. <laughs> <laughs> so what what goes into making a good salsa? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it's, it's all about the ingredients. We start with the basics and get the freshest ingredients that we, we can and get to get to know those ingredients and start messing around and what really goes into it is having the love for it just Mm -hmm. having having the love and patience for like creating a good sauce is the key so like i always go to my wife here for that inspiration all right i want to make this this salsa here but what do you think i should do or mess with and She's not like the biggest spicy head, but she, she kind of gives me. You saying she's uh, not spicy? Is that what you're uh, saying? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was uh, I was born and raised in Chile, and so oh. in my country we don't really have. Chilena. This. Soy chilena. Andale. Sí, pues. Aquí. El ají. (laughs) And so uh, I didn't grow up with this, Mm -hmm. but actually uh, I have a little story. When I was growing up, we had a Peruvian maid and she would really eat spicy foods. And so I was curious. I'm like, what's that? Can I try some? And she's like, yeah, eat some. And so then she would feed me hot stuff, hot like salsas and hot sauce behind my mom's back. (laughs) And and so uh, that, that kept going on for a while. And so my mom found out and then she told there please stop you know like i i don't i don't feed her that way you know don't please please stop you know and she said okay all right but it was too late that was was already yeah you're and so uh since i was little i already had that crave for spice but just not the tolerance that this guy has yeah so like this guy (laughs) is like and so uh it's funny because like at the markets like i tell him like he caters to that crowd that just wants that fire oh yeah and so just put a lot of it all over your tacos and like for me it's like hey this is flavor it's 
it's always flavor first and then fire second. Yeah. And so I'm like, hey, I can handle, I can even handle the death wish. But like for me, it's a couple drops, you know, but yeah. like just to get that kick and that spice, but to, to not die. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, want, you want to survive. Uh, yes. Tasting, right. Right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. But you, you like more of the pairing, right? I, you know what? I learned a lot of the pairing from this guy because like he likes to pair everything. So he's like, oh, we're watching a Korean film. So we got to have Korean food and Korean drinks. And I'm like, really? Uh, oh, I see. Like <laughs> and the so, ultimate like, he, he pairing. Pairs, okay. Yeah, ultimate pairing for with because of the movies. Yeah. And I've been learning how to pair stuff be, because of him. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's a lot of the cooking. I, oh, okay. I love cooking with this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so like, yeah. what can I do with that green? Yeah. Or what can I do with the with the red? But like also him, like we we both uh, yeah. like to be in the kitchen experimenting and creating okay. stuff. So what do you make with, with some of your salsas? Ooh, okay. So I really like with the green, green chili pork. Mm. I love that. And so I always ask him like to make it one of the dishes for the week. And he's probably tired of it. Uh, <laughs> I ask for it often. The green one is made with a hint of Mexican oregano. And uh -huh. so it's funny because it kind of happened as an accident, but we put it on a plain quesadilla and it tastes like a pizza because oh, of that okay. oregano. Yeah, yeah. So that, oh, right, right. that was fun. The, ma the machete is awesome. That's my favorite. I'm biased and so that one it, i put it on on chinese food on rice as a marinade uh, we put it as a, as a spread on bread like yeah. it's just very versatile yeah yeah i love it the machete obviously from machete from machete but, oh, it's, yeah. the, but it's a matcha salsa it's a salsa matcha so because right. of ma the word matcha like machete maybe yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was easy kind of yeah. <laughs> i had to give it a movie title Right, and, and right. that's the one that started it all. That's the one that won first place. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, for people that don't know what salsa matcha is, can you explain it to us? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's originally fam it's famous in Veracruz, Mexico. It usually involves a type of oil and a type of nut and different combination of chilies. We make it with olive oil. We make it with almonds because my mom loved cooking with almonds. And then uh, three different peppers. We've got guajillo in there, chipotle, and chile de arbol. And it looks like a chili, like a chili oil, like you find like at Asian restaurants. Yep. But uh, it's more like with the Mexican flavors from the from the chiles. Salsa matcha is one of my favorites. Too. Oh, that's nice. Awesome. Yeah, I think one of the first times I saw you was at a Frida Friday. Okay. So where can people find your salsas? So we do a lot of pop up markets. We have our farmers markets in Georgetown and Bee Cave. And we're on the wait list for the ones here in Austin and Mueller. Everybody wants us in Mueller farmers markets. Or like, I know we're in the wait list, so, you know, we, we keep bugging them, but hopefully one day uh, so we can, uh, you know, serve our community here closer to home. Please but tell Mueller. Please tell Mueller. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, it's and our then campaign. campaign. <laughs> is big campaign uh, okay. we, we are carried in some small local stores. Our, the biggest of those stores is Tom's Market. Okay. There, there's four locations here. Uh, they've been really great with us, and they uh, we we have our salsas there. We also have a couple of other mom and pop shops like Dia's Market up north. We are at the Austin Night Market, both locations, okay. and a few other ones. Our our biggest client here is at the airport. We have a we have a store at the airport that. Uh, get supplies travelers with their fuego fix. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, nice. So. That's mm -hmm. awesome. It's called uh, Fifth and Congress on Gate 28. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. There Make you go. sure you check in right. there of course. before you yeah, check out. Because people were asking us at the markets, <laughs> like, hey, do you have a sample size? Because I'm oh. traveling. I only have a carry-on. And, eh, well, we don't have that right now, but just go to Gate 28 and get, yeah. you, get you the full size. I know, right? Yeah. Right? The essentials, you know. Yeah, you got, the essentials. You there you go. So, last question. If somebody wanted to make their own salsas 
like me. Uh, <laughs> what does it take to do that? Look for inspiration from within your family, from yourself, from things that you love, and incorporate that into the sauce. And then you're gonna find that passion for it, like because it comes from a personal space. And then it all just kind of comes together. My mom, my mom loved cooking with chicken bouillon, uh-huh. you know, with, the, with her rice and some right, of her sauces. Right. That Attack of the Killer Tomatoes has that chicken bouillon. Okay, okay. So gotcha. when, once I started adding that, I'm like, oh, you know, this this just remind this yeah. brings back all these memories, and it gets incorporated into the sauce. And I'm like, this is a winner. I cannot change it. And then people are loving it. So that's a win. I I was just doing it for me. Yeah, yeah. Now you're spreading the. The sauce of love. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As it should. Well, Tony and Stephanie, thank you so much for coming to the studios and for bringing me all these awesome samples. And I'm like, I'm set. Of course. I'm set, you know. When you run out, you know where to find Yeah, us. yeah, I do, I do. Thanks so much for awesome. coming in. Thank appreciate you, appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Well, that was a muy fantastic conversation on salsas. Now we're going to head to my casa and play around with some salsa pairings, and I'll show you how to make my very own taquero green salsa. So now I'm going to make that creamy green salsa that you see at all the, the taco spots. I call that the taquero creamy green salsa. And it's super basic, super simple. We got some jalapenos, fresh jalapenos. You boil them until they're nice and soft. A little bit of ajo and some salt and the the magic, the secret sauce. You heard it here first. It's canola oil. Some people think it actually has uh, avocado or even sour cream. And some people do put that, but I don't. I go straight up. You want to make a salsa creamy, you put that canola oil in there. So let's go. I just added the jalapeños. They're nice and soft. And you can deceive them if you want. I don't because you know what? I like it hot. I added a little bit of garlic or ajo. And of course, uh, some salt. And for me, it's a sabor, you know, for whatever taste you like. And of course, we top it off with a little bit of the canola oil. I would say one to two teaspoons. All right, then you're solid, you're good. You got your jalapenos in there. You still have the juice from the water that it was boiled in, so you don't need to add add extra water. So I kind of like it nice and creamy versus watery. Then you're gonna hit that blender fast. So you get yourself a little bit of a spoon and you, you put a little dab of salsa on the top of your hand because pro tip, the bottoms of your hands are the dirtiest part, right? And then you taste it. And then you can figure out, okay, I need some salt. Porque yo soy salero, right? All right, let's serve it up with some tacos. We have three taco styles. Al pastor, fajitas. And of course, my go-to, one of my favorites is carnitas. For the salsas, we have chile de arbol, tomatillo, and of course, that taquero creamy green salsa that I made here at my house. Taco pairing number one. I go to, with my chile de arbol, straight on into the mm, first bite. Mm. Tacos al pastor. Mm. Yeah. You know the, the chiles with the al pastor and the chile de arbol? It just takes it up a notch. You know, it's like the red on red brings it home. And it's spicy. Check. 
Next is taco pairing numero dos. My go-to is a tomatillo on the fajitas. I'm gonna pour some tomatillo on there to add that tangy flavor. Okay, and now, a comer. Mm. You know, if you have a good fajita that's marinated with citrus and then you top it off with that tanginess of the tomatillo, check. Finally, we have taco pairing numero tres, 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 tres. Carnitas, and you top it off with the creamy green taquero salsa. Pour that on top. If you know me, carnitas always hit home because you got that sweetness, the pork, the moistness, the crispy, and the fattiness of the pancitas, right? So that creamy green salsa not only cuts it, but balances it out. Check. So there you have it. We have three styles of tacos, three styles of salsas. You got what you need. Go out there and do some salsa magic. Ooh, me pica pero me gusta. What a spicy episode of Tacos of Texas. We gave you a rundown of some chili pepper basics that you can share with your friends to add a little spice to your conversations. We introduced you to Fantastic Fuego and we even tasted our way through some delicious salsa pairings. If things got a little too heated for you, remember that you can have some milk or ice cream to tame that burn. Special thanks to our guest, Paul Boslin, AKA the Chili Man, former director of the Chili Pepper Institute and El Jefe, Tony Nunez, and La Jefa, Stephanie Sanur of Fantastic Fuego, based in Austin, Texas. Shout out to some of my favorite salsa makers. Cochinita and Company, based in Houston, Texas, Humble House in San Antonio, and Jalapeña Salsa out of Corpus Christi, Texas. This has been the Tacos of Texas podcast developed and produced by Identity Productions. If you enjoyed today's episode and are craving more taco content, go to our website at www.identity.productions or follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube at Identity Productions and United Tacos of America. This is your host, Mando Híjole Menchile Rayo. ¡Vamos a los tacos! On the next Proximo Tacos of Texas, Inside Encuentro, we give you a look inside the invite-only anthropologic and culinary gathering in Houston, Texas, put on by the Texas Indigenous Food Project. There's food, storytelling, tastings, y más. The Tacos of Texas podcast is presented by Identity Productions in partnership with KUT and KUTX Studios. Our host and producer is Mando Rayo, our audio is mixed by Nicholas Worthen and Ever Calderon. Our story producer is me, Sharon Arteaga. And our creative producer is Dennis Burnett. Music was created by Peligrosa in Austin, Texas and King Benny Productions located in the Quinto Barrio of Houston. 